We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Sat- Behind the Headlines on Sartalk Radio. I'm Joe Quinn, and my host this week, as usual, is Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. This week, we are talking about, as you probably gathered, the situation in Greece, because it's kind of topical, although it's been topical for quite a long time at this stage. Some of you may be getting either bored with it, or frustrated with it, or, you know, angry, maybe, I don't know. Or you may not know anything about it whatsoever. If you are in the latter case, then you should um, listen carefully to the show because we're going to explain it all. Oh, God, are we? Yes. <laughs> it's the most complicated topic ever. Finance. Finance is a little complicated. Um, and if anybody wants to call in and explain it to us, then feel free. Or you can write your explanation in the chat room. Uh, but uh, in the absence of that, we will do our best to give you the the basics of what is actually going on, what has been going on in Greece, and what it kind of means for the future, uh, or what it may mean for the future, and generally speaking, the underlying uh, of the situation. Um, I suppose one of the first things to one of the first myths to dispel that probably many people have been uh, made aware of or even believe at this point is that uh, this is all the Greek people's uh, fault, that basically they haven't been paying their taxes, living high on the hog, and now they've got themselves into debt. You know, that's this kind of puerile, um, very childish, simplistic explanation that is promoted by the media or certainly that's somehow, that's how, that's what the average person in the streets gets, because that, that seems to be what what the average person in the street, uh, when they're asked about it, that's what they, they yeah. seem to think when they, they see these comments and different things. It's like, Greeks don't work hard enough, they're lazy, too many siestas, too many beers. Yeah, exactly. That's very simplistic, and it makes sense to the average person, because they all know someone who got themselves into debt through their laziness or something and they then couldn't pay it back and, you know, then that, that caused problems. And, yeah, I can, I can relate to this. I understand this Greek problem, you know. It's about lazy people not paying their taxes and getting in debt and not being able to pay it back. Yeah, and, and what, we bail them out and they won't pay us well, back? Well, then they're looking huh. for someone else to, to, to carry Give the us can. back our money. Yeah, to carry the can for them. And that's like, uh, that's just not on. Nobody who would agree, what, what rational person would, what sane person would agree with, agree to such such a thing. Um, of course, it's very similar. Uh, it actually reminded me um, of something else I came across during the week, uh, which was some article on the web, on a news website, about the benefits of coconut oil. And I read the article. Yeah, okay, very good. Coconut oil, it's not bad. Um, but a bunch of people in the comment section, and this is my yardstick for the average punter in the, in the street, a bunch of people expressed the opinion, something along the lines of, but 
Coconut oil is fat, isn't it? I thought that clogs your arteries. Um, and it kind of reminded me, it, for some reason, it just made me think of the Greek, what we just mentioned about the Greek uh, narrative, that it's just, it's, in this, it's presented by the media in these simplistic terms that the average person in the street can relate to, because the average person in the street doesn't have a very uh, profound or even superficial understanding of, uh, of most things that go on in the world um, and how the world really works. And that includes finance and that goes from finance to health. And uh, so this person saying, well, fat, uh, coconut fat, that can't be good for you because it clogs your arteries. And I imagine that probably the thought behind that was that this person was thinking, well, as many people probably are aware that if you've ever seen um, fat or grease in a, in a pipe, you know, it sticks to the sides of it. And uh, blocks your drain. So it blocks your drain. So therefore, any kind of animal fat or, or vegetable fat would uh, block your arteries as well in the same way. It's that kind of somewhat rather ridiculous um, transposition of, of uh, concepts uh, that just doesn't apply whatsoever. Uh, and the same thing is true of Greece here. You know, it's like, well, I know someone who... Well, hey, that Greece, Greece is clogged. Greece clogs. Huh? Huh? Greece and Greece? No, clogs are from Holland. <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, good point. I mean, it's just it's the simplicity it's, of well, it's an example of why the world is so screwed up, you know. The messages. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the it's woeful lack of understanding and um, awareness on the average person of how the world really works that leads them to, or leads them to be more easily uh, fooled and lied to, and for them to believe the lies uh, that are propagated by the powers that be, whoever people in positions of power. Um, you know, you keep people ignorant in that way and uh, they're more easily controlled. You can sell them a lie and they get the opposite. You tell them something's going to happen. It doesn't happen. They're none the wiser, really, because they don't understand what's going on. Um, yeah, so Greece, Greek, obviously Greek people, um, the whole debt business, the debt would not Greek people. It's been foisted on Greek people, but the debt was not, let's say, by the Greek people. It was incurred by private institutions, uh, including banks, uh, yeah. all over Europe. Yeah. Um, and that bank, that that that, um, that debt, after they engaged in these private financial institutions and other institutions, including banks, uh, once they had recklessly gambled with their own money, and in many cases other people's money, <clears throat> they lost it the institutions and banks in those in the countries they had their where they were where they were based uh you've heard the term banks were too big to fail well the national government uh essentially bought that debt took that debt from private institutions that they owed and and uh absorbed that debt and when a, a government or a central bank absorbed the debt it's foisted on the people it's now becomes the people's debt um, and this is what happened all across the eurozone, yeah. and including in yeah. Greece. That's all, all, all governments, including the Greek government, was told it had to absorb the debt. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, by the easy, by by the European Central Bank and by the European Commission and the European authorities, essentially. <clears throat> and this is a problem. You know, it's um, when people signed up to the euro uh, way back when, uh, not fifteen, almost fifteen years ago, or on many of them, many years before that. But the whole concept of the of the uh, European Union and European Monetary Union has essentially turned out to be a mechanism by which all of the countries that joined 
would be uh, uh, financially controlled, fully controlled. They would throw their lot in basically with the central government of Europe who would administer <clears throat> funds to them, disperse funds around, uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of like people all throwing their money into a pot, their collective money into a pot, uh, and then uh, someone, some small group of people administering that money to them. And that obviously gives uh, those particular people uh, massive control over all of the countries involved and by implication or, in, or directly as a result of that, control over the lives and the quality of life of all of the people in those countries. So it's a very dangerous thing to do. And of course, it was only engaged in because people obviously weren't aware of the idea maybe of uh, the types of people who would rise to those positions and their agenda, which would be extremely psychopathic one and uh, certainly not a benevolent one. Um, and that's the kind of situation we're in today with Greece. Um, yeah. But it's more complicated, so we can do it. This is from Bloomberg in 2011. Societe Generale and other French banks are heavily exposed to the sovereign debt crisis enveloping Greece and other Euro- Eurozone nations. SocGen owns 88% of Athens-based Janiki Bank. So at that point, they already, it wasn't just that, oh, the Greek banks were even at fault. The, the Greek banks were long since uh, part of the conglomerates, like uh, like French Société Générale, but also the huge German bank, Deutsche Bank. These were the people who held the debt. They freaked out at the time and said, no way, there can be no default or no sovereign debt crisis can be allowed to be uh, developed to the point it is now. It's, mm-hmm. uh, if you like, it's safe for it to be at this point now because they have since shifted the debt downwards, mm-hmm. nationalized it in Greece. Now the Greek people owe the debt. Oh, oh so there are all few. As much as there's panic going on right now, they spent the last four or five years preparing the ground for this situation. Yeah. A Greek default then would have collapsed the big banks. No, can't have that. But it's far safer for there to be a national default, Yeah, which is looking like it's going to happen right now. Absolutely. You get the impression that uh, this is speculation, but that the bigger countries in Europe are kind of ring-fencing uh, themselves, in particular Germany. And this may be uh, with, a, with an understanding, although I don't necessarily allow for for these kind of people being aware of just the, of just how unstable and uh, fictitious and fake the whole global economy, including Europe, actually is, and how it's ripe effectively for a collapse because it's based on it's a house of cards. It's 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 not really based on anything real. Um, well, two parts of the world are most exposed: the U.S. Yeah. and the U.S. dollar, North America and Europe. Yeah, exactly, because they have engaged in this kind of uh, predatory, uh, well, kind of lending and exploitation and effect what's, what's called gambling basically using uh, the wealth of countries to 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 gamble it on this international casino market and then losing a bunch of it you know I mean and this is all phony funny money to, to begin with because they basically create money out of nothing essentially uh, based on the projected supposed wealth of a nation or the ability for a group of people for millions of people within a country to produce X amount of produce or X amount of wealth they then say well that's all there you know looking down the line for the future we can we can actually take that we can uh, mortgage the future essentially and and the output of the people of any country and create money with that now create supposed wealth or money with that now and then 
try and use it to, you know, gamble with it or, or try and invest it and, and make more, you know. But that's a very, that's a ridiculous thing to do, obviously, and it's it's fundamentally unreal. And at some point, that whole a whole house of cards built on that uh, on that kind of a fictitious system is going to collapse. And so, whether or not they're aware that there's a point coming, I don't know. But it's possible that they are, and they're are they very concerned that anything could tip it over the edge. And I think um, with this Greek situation, the way Germany and the bigger European countries are playing, really, and they're in their their creditors, i.e., international finance or the financial markets, whatever you want to call it, they give these strange names to uh, what are clearly individuals uh, running <coughs> uh, financial investment uh, corporations and hedge funds, uh, pri- both private and mostly private, some of them public. Uh, these, these people <coughs> that are essentially have invested money <coughs> uh, or have bought, it's not so much investing money in Greece, they have bought, almost like bought shares in Greece, for, for one example, Greece the country, they buy what are, what are called government bonds and that's eff- effectively buying shares in the country. And if you imagine that, um, <coughs> if you think of that as a, that, that concept of uh, an individual with a lot of money buying a share in a country. Uh, eventually, if enough people, wealthy people do that, they would effectively own, they would have given, uh, bought enough shares in the country that they effectively own all of the country. And at that point, they're in, the posi- in a position to dictate. Uh, who rules? Who rules? And what laws are made? What laws are passed? How much the people are squeezed? How much people have to work? How much money they get for their work? And they do all this to make sure to, to safeguard their investment, essentially, you know. Um, and I think at this point they're very scared that they might lose this because these greedy people are obviously scared that they would lose uh, any of their wealth at all, even if they've got billions and billions. They still they don't want to lose one penny. So at this point they're playing kind of hardball with Greece and squeezing Greece as much as possible because they're afraid that uh, if Greece were to kind of just... Greece has the option, in theory, of just walking away. But that would involve them leaving the European Union and the Eurozone. Um, they're afraid of that happening because that could be the the kind of the domino that sets the whole thing, the whole, knocks the whole house of cards down type thing, you know. So, um, but at the same time, they're a bit conflicted because I think um, we're seeing from Germany that uh, particularly the German foreign minister, Schaubel, uh, is a, a golem type character. In the wheelchair. <coughs> yeah. Ironside. Yeah, old Ironside. He, um, He's playing, he, he and the Germans in particular are a certain faction within the German government and German finance uh, have for quite a while made it clear that they've been happy. They're happy enough with the idea of a Grexit, as they call it, of Greece leaving the Eurozone. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they figure they'd be able to, um, not that they would just forget about the money that they claim they're owed uh, from Greece, but they are imagining that in that case, Greece would bring back its national currency, the, the drachma. That would be massively devalued compared to the euro. And then there would be a, a real, there would be a, <clears throat> a glut <clears throat> of opportunity for these kinds of people to basically buy up uh, all of Greece, <clears throat> Greece industry, Greece infrastructure, Greece, uh, you know, 
Greece wealth, basically all of the tangible wealth within Greece at 10 cents in the dollar, basically. So there's a, there's a silver lining to a Greek Brexit for these mm-hmm. kind of predatory capitalists. Yeah. They're always looking for, for win-win all around. For right. Them. For them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what's, uh, that's more or less what's been, what's been going on. You know, Greece signed up to the European Union, the European Economic, uh, community essentially and allowed its, its, its economy to be governed and controlled by a, a central authority and that, but that central authority has exploited it in the most egregious way. Yeah. Uh, the same with other poorer countries. And you notice they're all kind of southern <clears throat> part of Ireland. They're southern European countries. Well, they're all peripheral. Right, peripheral. Centre and periphery. Right, so you have kind of northern Europe or France and northern Europe seems to be kind of like, has, like I said, has kind of ring-fenced itself and has absorbed all of the power and control and profit from the whole European experiment. And uh, they're very annoyed now that Greece, and with the Syriza party uh, in power since January this year, that Greece is kind of trying to buck the system a little bit and expose the injustices of the system. And they're very annoyed at that. And there's this battle going on at the minute where they're trying to pretend that everything's normal and that everything's still cool and the European ideal and experiment is still holding true and stuff. But if necessary, well, Greece can just go its own way and will continue on. And that but they're trying to hide the fact, hide the truth that um that is kind of coming out here and there throughout this whole crisis that there's something fundamentally rotten in the entire nature of the European community and the European the Eurozone, the economic union of these twenty eight nation states, where there are two tiers, at least two tiers, maybe three tiers within this union where you have the top dogs and, and then everybody else below and they basically or exploited. It's it's like a master and slave to a certain extent uh, relationship. Yeah, um, I'd like to point out that this has been going on five years, mm. but it it had reached a kind of equilibrium, a stability of sorts, with previous Greek governments agreeing to everything. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, literally, the way it works was the same for Ireland. The Troika, mm-hmm. which they didn't mind being called, which is ironic given that it was a pejorative term in Soviet Russia. Right, that's the European <laughs> the, the Troika, EU, European and Central Bank and the IMF, would um, dictate how things are going to be. And there was a running joke in, in Athens, that, because they, they exposed the, the format that happens. You're literally sent an email that morning, today you're going to do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, send, send me a line back when it's done. That was going on for five years. What happened then in January is the Greeks voted in a party led by people who said, you know what, we're sick of this. Mm. Sick to the teeth of this. And they have tried just to claw back a little bit of modicum of civilization in Greece. By that I mean easing off on the pressures on, as always, the marginalized, Mm -hmm. the elderly, children, the poor. And that is when this became a crisis all over again. Mm-hmm. And in the last few weeks, they have explicitly said, um, somebody leaks from the German government mm-hmm. uh, and frankly admits, yes, we're on a mission. Ever since these two damn communists came to power, our mission is to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So in a way, we can almost put 
the issue of finances and debt to one side for a second mm. and focus strictly on the political. They don't like this government because it's not doing what it's told. Yeah, it's not. Therefore, it must. They're talking essentially a form of regime change. Yeah, and they've said that, and there's a leaked document that there been uh, that was um, put forward to the Greek government that it was in the past 24 hours and it was leaked. It's in the media uh, on various uh, news websites and there. Um, part of the one of the stipulations of I think it's a 50 point. Uh, not 50 point, but one of the stipulations of this uh, document that uh, this is what the European authorities are demanding uh, of the Greek government and the Greek people. And one of them is, as you mentioned earlier, is to depoliticize uh, oh, the, the Greek government. I mean, this is explicitly in a financial document. You have this one is of the, phenomenal. What, what this is, this is... Uh, no, this is just from today. This is brand yeah, new. Said, yeah. So, okay, let, let's just rewind a little. Let's just cover the last week in, in the quick scope. So we were reporting here last week that the referendum results just come in mm-hmm. and like everyone else, we probably thought, wow, okay, this is going to go a certain way. Mm-hmm. Overnight, Varoufakis, the key guy in the Greek government, yep. resigns. Yep. We can we'll specula- speculate about why in, in a minute, but uh, he resigns. And then within days, uh, within one day, Cyprus has got all the opposition parties together, mm-hmm. tell them that they're basically are going to keep capitulate they they wouldn't use that term well we're going to agree to what they asked for but now we're using the referendum result to convince try to convince brussels to at least relieve us of some of this enormous debt yeah there's two things there's two things people need to understand about this but what is being demanded of the greek people one is this um is effectively you know illegal I don't know if it's legal or not, but it's certainly an unjustified debt that has been foisted on the Greek people uh, and the terms of which the Greeks, the Greek government from the Greek people have to pay that back. Yeah. Uh, And the other one is the measures that the European authorities want to enforce on the Greek government and the Greek people in order to enable them to pay back that debt, right? So it's like, say the Greek government own, owes, if only, but say they owned, owe $100. Uh, it's not just a matter of saying, they owe, they owe $100 to the European uh, authorities uh, over 10 years, have to pay it back over 10 years. Uh, but then the, the, the European authorities are dictating to the Greeks how what they back. have to do to generate the money yeah. to pay back that debt. So it, it's not so much a capitulation, but rather that the Syriza government has agreed to those measures, most of them, not all of them, but, I mean, there's wiggle room there, but to most of those uh, so-called austerity measures uh, that would enable the Greek government supposedly to generate free up enough money mm-hmm. to pay back the debt. But what government is demanding is that that debt itself, the amount of that debt and the term of that debt be pushed back a long way into the future so that their repayments are shortened and also the interest on it be shortened, be reduced and and the the length of it, obviously if you you extend the length of of the repayment of a loan then your repayments become smaller and the interest on them they also want to be reduced. 
So it's a, that's that's their compromise, basically. They're saying, okay, we'll but, we'll, we'll do your austerity measures, we'll cut pensions, <clears throat> you know, we'll we'll privatize this and that and the other to raise the funds, but we need to hold on to some of that money that's generated for the country itself, for to to keep the country running and to to make your people a decent enough standard of living. So you need to take smaller repayments and over a longer period of time. Yeah. And that's what the Greek government is demanding, and that's what's being argued about right now, because the Germans in particular were uh, were showing that they were not even interested in uh, renegotiating that debt itself. Yeah. But that's one thing. But the actual terms that were put in, in the proposal by the European Union to Greece and then put to a referendum that was rejected heavily, mm-hmm. they've, the, the Greek government has since said yes to all of those terms and in addition so you you think that would I when I heard that news I thought well that's it that they've made a deal something happened in the background no, but they have, well, that's yeah, what I, they, I said they haven't actually agreed to all of those terms <clears throat> they've come up with a new a new proposition because in the original <clears throat> thing the original offer from the Europeans that was voted on by the Greeks it did not include uh, a restructuring of the debt okay and that's what they've come back now with. so what they're agreeing to now has all of the original austerity plans, but it includes what's added in by the Greek government is change the terms of the loan so that we don't pay back so much uh, yeah. and pay back over a longer period. And they seem to be saying maybe if just today, and this is these are the additional uh, austerity measures, so the, the, the things they must change in the way uh, they raise the funds for that debt. However, that whatever amount that debt is and when it's paid. So they've added, uh, Joe mentioned, I mean, this is totally non-financial. It's number 11 in the list of 12. Depoliticize the Greek administration. What, 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 is, what does that mean, depoliticize? It, the, only thing, the only thing I can think of is that they're saying we can't have this current government. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the financial... How, do you, how does that government then sign and agree to it? Okay, we'll go away now. This is meant to be a financial uh, document and, and focus solely on finances, but um, obviously it's not with the stipulation of depoliticize the Greek government. They're saying, I mean, that's a very, <clears throat> it's a very enigmatic statement to a certain extent, uh, or rather cryptic. Uh, but what it obviously means is when we put, you mentioned earlier about uh, Varoufakis, the previous finance minister who, who resigned last week, uh, there's been a lot of information about the fact uh, that the European authorities didn't like him at all. And the reason, it seems, if you look at what the kind of stuff Varoufakis was saying and has said since, it's pretty obvious that they didn't like him because uh, he was basically uh, exposing them for what they were and what they were doing. And he was negotiating on the basis that you're a bunch of crooks. And they didn't like that, obviously. Yeah, but you know, crooks don't like to be publicly—not publicly, but uh, to their face—be told that they're crooks. Uh, so, and and they simply wouldn't. They didn't want to negotiate with him. And I think behind the scenes, that was being said to the Greek government, the Syriza government. Listen, Farfagas has to go because he's pissing people off. Well, well, why is he pissing people off? Well, because he's telling them the truth. You know, we don't like his tone. His tone is that we're a bunch of crooks, and you know, maybe we are, but we don't like to be told that. So, can you make him go away? So. They conceded, you know, so the Greek government has been very uh, conciliatory on all counts, yeah. despite the way 
it's being presented and has been presented by the media. Yeah. Over and over again, they're being presented as this bunch of nutcase hardliners, blah, 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 when the truth is, is exactly the opposite. You know, these people are standing up, at least to some extent, for the interests of the Greek people. And they're, for, for doing that, they're being portrayed in the media as, you know, right, right wing, left wing, you know, they're, they're on the right wing of the left wing or something. They're basically hard nosed kind of, uh, socialist commie type, uh, nut jobs who, uh, who, who don't understand finance, which is bullshit. Which is complete bullshit. If you go back, um, there are videos and interviews about and by Varoufakis going back to 2011, at least I could find. In fact, when he was younger in the 90s, but uh, he's been an academic. And there's one, he gives a TED talk mm. in 2011. And uh, I can't say I understood completely what he was getting at, but the gist of it was we need to change the way the EU works. I'm not against it in principle. Mm. And I think that was what got their goat. Mm. It wasn't just here's an upstart who won't take orders from the center. But he or they, the Greeks, the new Greek government, seem to have a strategy where they're going to try and force through a systemic change Yeah, on all of us. As, <laughs> no way, sir. Right, get exactly. out of here. But that's the threat. That's the threat that yeah. they feel in the, in the centers of power in, in Europe, which is that if they were to allow Greece to, to do this, to do what they want to do, which is uh, enforce a more equitable or demand a more equitable uh, sharing of the wealth of of the European Union, essentially, because it's one economic entity to a large extent, uh, then that would have to apply to everybody. And their real agenda for the European Union, which was funneling the wealth of European countries up to a small clique at the top, would be would be over. They don't want that to happen. Well, Varoufakis said straight up what everybody actually already knows, um, which is that if you have one currency for totally different types of economies, and you bash them all together, as was done 15 years ago, mm-hmm. there must be massive transfers of wealth in the other direction than has actually been in practice. There must be massive transfers of wealth from the center to the periphery, right. or else the periphery will be drained well, faster than a dam would leak. Of course, yeah. Absolutely. Which is exactly what happened. Yeah. And it's like ABC, he's an academic, you know, you do this, this happens, this, this, and he, here you have the rare incidents where an intelligent academic actually becomes a finance minister. Uh-huh. So he's not a politician, well, he's getting up there, and these Eurocrats, technocrats, ex-Goldman Sachs people, but it's an example. they don't want to hear it. For most of Europe, and, in the, and here, in, you include the UK, um, the you know, the, your, the policy is dictated by bankers, and not just European bankers, but uh, indirectly from abroad, particularly by uh, banks like Goldman Sachs in the U.S. and stuff, who wield an awful lot of power globally. Um, the, the supposed finance ministers uh, of governments are just pen pushers. They, they just sign documents and stuff. I mean, the, the, um, uh, Osborne, the, the British... Uh, George Osborne. The British... Um, Chancellor, Chancellor of the Exchequer, as he's yeah. called, Finance Minister, effectively. Um, I'm pretty sure, is he, is he new? It was either him or the one from just the previous government from, from last year uh, as Finance Minister had a, a, a second degree, a 2-2 two, two or something in history from university. 
Yeah. He had a history degree, a, a, a mediocre history degree, and he was a finance minister. Yeah. That's, that's a one small a, example of the fact yeah. that these guys don't really need and to know. In his history. 20s, he was snorting coke, going to hookers, and flogging in London, the greatest casino on the planet. Um, precisely the things that cause all of this mess, yeah. these derivatives. Mm-hmm. Selling unicorns, basically, to people dumb enough to buy them. Yeah. And that's the kind of person who's now in charge. Uh-huh. Saying how it's got to be. Uh-huh. Y'all, all the little people are going to pay us for our lifestyles and our past mistakes from our lifestyles. Yep. But the way the way this works, like just talking about the uh, like that idea of <clears throat> there has to be a transfer of wealth in an economic a monetary union in Europe. There has to be a transfer of wealth from of funds from the richer countries. I mean, Greece has what ten million people. You know, Germany has eighty million, eight times the population, eight times the output, or more. Um, so there has to be a transfer of wealth to the periphery, but that hasn't happened. Uh, the way they've supposedly made it happen is is that Germany, German banks or the G- German government uh, or, or the European Central Government, which is like an amalgamation of these major European countries' central banks, they've been, and, and other investors, other private investors along with them, uh, go to these uh, smaller European countries and buy, like I was saying earlier, buy shares in the country. So that instead of giving money to the country to prop up, uh, to, to to finance, to some extent, um, the the country, the smaller country, um, for the benefit of all, as is the idea of a European Union type thing, they um, they instead they buy bonds, they buy shares in the country, and like I was saying earlier, that gives them massive control over um, the financial policies of that country and what they've done in those situations is it's amazing the extent to which they're able to actually manipulate in the European Union the way the European central powers are able to manipulate the actual economy of a country like Greece. You know, they can they can turn off the money flow as they call it, the spigot. You know, they can just stop because Greece can Greece can only print ten euro notes. It can't print any of its own money. It, it's it's reliant on uh, other bigger European countries to actually give it money, and they can just stop giving it money, and it, and its economy will immediately kind of like will will drop, will deflate, and when that happens, then the people have bought bonds in the country, like the same people who have just turned off the spigot and other investors, uh, they'll say, oh, you know, your your economy is uh, is not looking too good anymore because I just turned off the tap on it. Um, we're going to have to... As uh, if it just happened due right. to circumstances. But we're, now what we're going to have to do is we own we own shares in your in your country and the economy isn't looking so good so those shares aren't worth so much anymore so we're going to have to increase the interest rate that we're going to get back on those shares. Um, and they did that uh, over the past five years. They increased nominal shares usually on, on government bonds are about 1.5% or something like that over the term. You know, 10-year bonds where you uh, buy shares in a country and you are going to get the money back in 10 years with 1.5% interest, they increased it to 7% for Greek bonds. And that, of course, has the effect of, of, of reducing, the, increasing the debt, massively increasing the debt by, six, by fivefold, uh, because um, now the Greek government has to pay back on those shares five times the interest. We just... Just overnight, well, we increased it. You have to increase it to seven percent. Now your investors are going to get more money out of your country because we we tank your economy by turning off the cash flow, and that just piles up the debt. So this is the kind of way that the debt in Greece has been generated. 
since it joined the European it Union. It sounds deliberate. It is deliberate. They've, they've created massive debt in these countries deliberately that is not owned by the people whatsoever as a way to bilk and milk the country of its resources. And and the direct uh, implications of that or the direct effects of that are on the ordinary people because what is being demanded right now of Greece is austerity measures. What are austerity measures? Cut pensions, raise income tax, cut welfare. Cut, cut hospital, uh, cut spending on hospitals. Basically, the direct effects of Greek, Greece repaying its debt is that pensioners may not be able to buy enough food to feed themselves or heat, the, heat their houses in wintertime. When they go to the hospital, there may not be any beds for them. And for their children, they may find themselves suddenly unemployed with no way to get, and that has, that has happened as well, there's been massive unemployment in Greece over the past, over, over this period. So, that's the direct result of these austerity measures. And the other stipulation, that the stipulation, one of the other stipulations that have been demanded of Greece right now is that they privatize, they just talk about privatization, but what they mean is basically all of the public utilities that are still public, owned by the government and employ a lot of uh, public uh, government workers eff- effectively uh, and who are all insured a decent salary, etc. and decent uh, time off, basic decent decent working conditions. They want, they're demanding that <coughs> Greece privatise those, i.e. sell them off to who? Well, to big European and international uh, financial uh, investors who will buy up these yeah. public utilities in Greece, water, electricity, roads, and then fire off, uh, you basically fire 50% of the, of, the, of the workforce, there's a bunch more unemployed, uh, reduce the salaries of the people who are remaining, and increase the workload. Yeah. That's the kind of thing they're talking about. And they're even, I mean, it's so, it's so egregious it, it, to look at... Uh, if you look at what they actually, one of the other stipulations is that uh, <clears throat> they don't trust that the Greek government is going to do this because the way the Greek government, particularly with Varoufakis, have been talking over the past five months. They don't. They know that the that the Greek government, the Syriza government, knows what they're at, knows the type of people that they're dealing with, yeah. knows that these are a bunch of vultures, yeah. and they've more or less said as much and have treated them in that way. Although being polite all the time, but said, "Listen, you can't be praying." On the Greek people, we don't. They don't want. We don't want it. We're not going to allow you to do it. We're going to demand something else. And so they don't trust them anymore. They don't even trust that if the Greek government signs on to these measures that are being demanded of them, they don't even treat, trust that they will implement them. Well, wow. say that's there's a massive there's a massive uh, lack of trust. Everybody's saying now because of what's yeah, going lack on. Of trust. But what they're saying is that as and, and the evidence that they don't trust them is that um, they're saying that. One of the, a part of this leaked proposal was that Greece would hand over 50 billion euros worth of valuable Greek assets to Eurozone EU European authorities to be sold off over time. So basically, I mean, that is a massive... But, but get this, Joe. That's a massive uh, um, just... Transfer of wealth. Stri- well, stripping away of yeah. sovereignty of a country. You're talking about 50 billion dollars worth, 50 billion euros worth of assets that's, that's another, but you're not even talking about privatization there, you know what I mean? You're talking about give us them all to yeah. us and we will basically just sell them. We'll take your electricity company, for example, sell it off, break it apart, and you won't have any electricity. Theoretically, they'll just take all the water plants in Greece, uh, water, water uh, purification plants in Greece, sell off the, all the spare parts, 
take what money they can from it and leave people at risk without any clean water. That's theoretically what they mean by by give us. I mean, this is it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it it, it, it exposes the massive lie of what they're trying, yeah. what they claim they're doing, which is you know we're trying to help the Greek people. They're trying to screw the Greek people over in a massive way. Yeah. What's more, the twelve additional austerity demands they make today, in addition to the ones the Greek government has agreed to earlier this week, they've said to them, "You have until Wednesday." to make laws on these and pass them. Yeah, that's because they don't trust them, because they want to see the laws made and passed in Parliament. That's the only way that they would trust. <clears throat> and even then, <clears throat> they may not trust, but the only way that they get some assurance that the Greek government will implement these provisions that are being demanded of them is if they see them written into law and voted on in Parliament. That's an example of the lack of trust. But the lack of trust is being spun as, we can't trust these people because why? Because they're, they're trying to get out of paying back their debt. No, what they're exposing is the fact that the debt isn't owned by Greece. The EU and big international finance, the financial markets, are responsible for the debt. And if they uh, want to solve the situation, they write off the debt because it's theirs. They lost the money. It's not the Greek people's debt. Write it off. But they're threatening them. It's financial terrorism. They're threatening them with absolutely destroying the country if they don't. It's a mafia operation. It's absolutely a mafia operation where you walk into some guy's store and say, I want 10% of your takings or I'll break your legs. That's what's being said to Greece. That's absolutely, and that's what uh, Varoufakis said in his resignation post on his blog. This is financial terrorism. No, I think he said it in, during in the build-up to the actual referendum date. But uh, to give you an idea of the considerations that were on the table, just a month ago, um, Syriza was considering... Uh, an Icelandic-style default and nationalizing the Greek banking system. And at that point, a month ago, they were saying it's pointless to go on talking with the creditors in Europe. Yep. So they, they have considered, and that is what the logical next step is. Unfortunately, see, their backs are to the wall. As soon as they announce the referendum, the Greek Central Bank, which is not under Syriza control, turned off the spigot on behalf of the European Central Bank. And Greeks were suddenly able to take out, what, 60 euros a limit? They've been, uh, been in that state for now two weeks running now. Huh. Well, that's not so bad. It's, it, the thing is, this isn't so bad, and that's why, uh, they're, they're, you know, 60 euros a day for the average person isn't a problem, really. You know, to, to, to pay most of your needs, it's like six times, you know, seven days a week, six times 42, 420 euros a week times four. It's 1,700 euros a month. Right, but not all the ATMs, cash machines are giving out money. Right, but in theory, theoretically, if they are, then that's all right. But yeah, but that's an example. They're putting pressure on them to show them that, listen, if you do not, if you do not meet our demands, we will completely destroy your country, where you're going to be. I mean, they've thrown out these ideas. Everything they say is doublespeak. The EU, like this Shawl guy, is talking about Brexit, and in that case, we can let them go. They can, they can just go their own way. And uh, he mentioned that there would be some humanitarian assistance. I mean, that's uh, political speak. There's a very ve- slightly veiled but very clear threat there that if you. Uh, leave the Eurozone. There'll be utter chaos. Well, you're going to have, we're going to be setting up uh, uh, UN uh, aid programs. 
in your cities. You know what I mean? Do you want that? You know, this is the kind of threat. This is, I will break your legs from the mafia if you don't pay up. Curiously, I've noticed that um, besides the Germans recently tabling a kind of a a weak form of Brexit, so a five-year, Greece would leave the Eurozone for five years. Yeah. That's currently on the table right now, so they say. But I've noticed looking at the financial press, the Economist and Financial Times have been ramping up the benefits of Greece leaving the Eurozone yeah. for months now. Mm-hmm. And I can't help wondering that there's a pretty high, powerful faction that would like that. For the reason you just mentioned, Greece would be easy to attack. Yeah, well, well, they'd be able to loot it. But they're going to be looted one way or the other. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it's <clears throat> how, bad, how bad of a looting do you want? You know, that's what's being offered to them. And the Greek government is trying to negotiate with very little resources. With not a very good hand, basically, they're trying to, um, you know, they're, they're playing a game of poker, essentially, or, <clears throat> you know, to see if uh, it's, it's brinkmanship, you know. But it seems that the EU is, is willing to go further because they feel that they have most of the, they have all the cards, you know, they, they, they have a better hand, you know. And then... Um, <clears throat> What are the implications if if uh, there's no deal, say, this week and Greece does leave the Eurozone? Is that likely serious trouble for the Eurozone? This is a Euro tank? Uh, I think it would... Uh, at this point, you're talking about uh, sentiment. Yeah. Uh, it would... Because, you know, as we know, the financial markets operate a lot on sentiment, you know? If one of the big hedge fund managers... <clears throat> on Wall Street, has a has a stomach ache one day, and shares go down, you know, because he's not feeling too good. And uh, when he's asked about the, uh, how do you think this this shares in you know, you know Microsoft or or, or Shell or whatever are going to do, he says, oh, I don't feel very well. I don't think they're going to do very well. Suddenly the shares drop. That's more or less what happens. Uh, so sentiment uh, that and that in itself speaks to the foamy nature of the entire global economy, when that can actually happen. And that's not a joke. That's actually, uh, I mean, I, I played it up a little bit, but that is actually true. There are there are, there are kind of uh, brokers on Wall Street. There's a there's 10 of them or something who are, in, who are in the top 10 earners. You know, they earn like 25 or $30 million a year just from trading and stuff. And their opinion, because they're so apparently knowledgeable, their opinion carries a lot of weight. And they can simply, they can take bribes from the owners of companies to say, here, talk up my talk up my uh, my company and the shares will go up based on nothing, based on no actual predictions whatsoever. The shares will go up because I, because this guy said, I like those shares. He was in The Economist. I like those shares or he, or on TV, you know, um, or he puts the word out. And the opposite is true as well. Uh, you can get someone like that to talk down someone else's shares if you give them enough money and shares in someone else's company will go down. So that speaks to the, the the phony nature of the entire global economy. That So speaking about the Grexit, yeah, it would look bad. Uh, it would create a bit of panic in the markets. Oh, what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen. And it could precipitate a, a kind of a fall in, in global markets because of uncertainty. I mean, you think these people are all little girls, you know what I mean? They, they, they crap their pants, you know, when they're not sure about what's going to happen in the financial markets. So the whole, we're all, we're all at their, at their mercy, basically, of their, of their nerves. Um, 
Well, this is that's because, but also the whole eurozone ideal, basically, with one group actually, which it, it would be a failure. Obviously, it would point to that this thing isn't working very well. This whole idea of a collective union of countries who all get together and throw all the money into a pot and then have it redispersed to everybody. It's not, it hasn't worked out very well, at least for this one country. And it's not just one country. There's several others, hmm. Spain, Portugal, Italy, Ireland, and others, who aren't doing so well either. And it could precipitate, again on sentiment, could precipitate you know, a kind of a, a fallout or a crisis in those countries as well. But also, um, if, if Greece does well, after it leaves, I mean, it's going to be a hard few for first first period if if they left the eurozone. But if they actually got back on their feet and started doing relatively well, maybe they turned towards Russia, turned towards Asia. Uh, that would be a very bad example as far as the uh, the EU authorities are concerned for these other countries who are in a who are, who are struggling under this massive debt that was forced on their people as well. And they might say, "Well, hey, what do you, how do you what's what's the word for a Spanish exit?" A Spexit? <laughs> or a Portuguese exit? A Peck, a poor, 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 Texit? Poor Texit. A Port Exit? Port Exit. Port, port Exit. Door. And what's an Irish exit? On Exit. <laughs> <laughs> an Irish exit is, uh, sure, well, well, okay, hang on. We're, we're talking there the road. about financial ramifications. But the political ones, you have large growing parties that were like Syriza up and coming in up and coming elections in those other countries. Yeah, there will be a vote the for political fallout of having Syriza's all around the periphery who well, don't yeah. think right as far as technocrats are concerned. Mm-hmm. I think that got to concern them. Uh, today, the Russians made another, another little noise. They've been speaking up now and then. The, to date, they've offered four times some vague form of financial assistance to Greece in the eventuality that they need it. Mm-hmm. Greece has either politely declined or just not answered. Now, in the, during the referendum, that is, after it was announced and before it took place, Alexis Tsipras, Prime Minister of Greece, went to Moscow uh-huh. and signed a deal on a 2 billion euro or dollar. 2 billion euro. Gas money, money, gas pipe deal that would make Greece the end well, no, it wouldn't make it. It would make it a transit point. In in, in mm. Putin's vision, it was a transit point for getting gas back into the Balkans. Today, in addition to that, Moscow is considering direct energy supplies to Greece. Mm-hmm. I think that's in terms of a one-on-one deal, a trade deal between Russia and Greece, not just yeah. for tra- the transit of gas. Well, that would be. I mean, the transit of gas would mean that uh, anyway would mean that Greece would get. Uh, access to Russian gas directly. I mean, when transit through your country, you can you can have a a, a pipe that just uh, that that, yeah. that turns it into that into that country. Um, but this this is always clearly what I'm Putin. getting at here is yeah is the bigger picture, the yeah. geopolitics of this. Mm-hmm. They cannot fail to notice that before Syriza was elected, the whole for a whole year before, Cyprus and others, including the guy who ended up being. He's actually a right-winger independent who's still in the Greek government. They were all going to Russia on a regular basis for meetings. They kind of failed to notice that before Cerise was elected. And, mm. of course, now they're, they're actually making deals. So is the EU 
uh, at all concerned by that? They're concerned about the contagion. The U.S. concern. The U.S. concern, but uh, as well, obviously, the U.S. Is, uh, craps his pants at uh, Russia selling uh, a bag of buckwheat to anybody, you know? Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're afraid. But I think it, in terms of Greece, Greece is a relatively small country. It's 2% of the, uh, produces 2% of the, of the Eurozone, um, you know, GDP or whatever. Um it has 10 million people or so. Um, so Greece doesn't have a lot to offer business-wise. Sure, it can do business with Russia and other countries, but it doesn't have a lot to offer because of its size. But the problem is here would be uh, uh, contagion, essentially. That if Greece starts doing business with, uh, Greece leaves the Eurozone, starts doing business with Russia, it all starts to go well. Uh, well, then it's, you know, it's all to the good for for Russia and it's not good for NATO and their EU partners you know it's just these people you have to realize these people aren't very rational you know they're extremely ir- irrational and um, yeah. they, they freak out uh, I mean particularly we've talked about this before but the US freaks out about uh, um, about Russia no matter what Russia does it, mm-hmm. it sees Russian boogeymen everywhere and it's just uh, it's, it's completely it's, it's some largely hysterical about Russia and Russian influence, and Russia doesn't have to do anything. And this is a problem. They're trying. They have to make up uh, this threat. They have to fabricate a threat from Russia uh, and, and turn it into this overt aggression by Russia, because Russia isn't <clears throat> actually being overtly aggressive or even covertly aggressive to anybody. The threat that freaks them out about Russia is uh, Russia's size and its natural state. You know, it's uh, it's like a small guy being freaked out by a large hulking man who is, you know, very nice, very kind, nice person, but just by nature, he's a big guy. And the little guy looks up at him and is freaked out because he knows if that guy wanted to, he could squash him. The guy has no intention of squashing him, but because that, that threat is built up in this paranoid person's mind, they have to start pointing at him and saying, look, he's a big uh, Frankenstein monster. He's going to eat us all, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of what's going on with the... Uh, with that, so I mean, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot to freak out NATO and the Americans about Russia. Uh, so any deal between Russia and, and even this pipeline deal is going to annoy them. Uh, Putin was asked what he thought of the Greek debt crisis this week, and he answered with a question: Where was the European Commission this whole time? Why is they why are they only dealing with this problem now? I think he's he's hinting at again the phony nature of it. Uh-huh. the contrived nature of it. <clears throat> Listen, Greece has been in the European Union, formerly the EEC, since 1986. Already, by 1999, 80 to 90% of all laws, that's just going from the small-scale local policy uh, all the way up to national laws, were formulated from the center, from Brussels. This is pre-Eurozone. Mm. These countries are already effectively federalized parts of a larger whole. Mm -hmm. But oh, when it's convenient, you can blame the nation state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because a particular, the people went went the wrong way. The bottom line is that the European authorities, central European authorities, have been responsible for Greek for decades uh, in more or less everything. So if Greek fails, quote unquote, in any way, then it's your responsibility. It's bad management, bad parenting. 
what did you do wrong? You know, because you were largely in control of that country, uh, certainly in terms of finances and, and in terms of politics and law, you were in almost complete control of that country. So if it's gone pear-shaped, it's your fault. And you got to suck it up. But now, like you just said, they're, they're changing, changing, uh, moving the goalposts essentially and saying, oh, well, Greece is actually its own uh, independent country and they did it all wrong. And you're blaming the child basically for your bad, for your bad parenting. Um, I think Russia can't do anything <clears throat> really as of any significance with uh, Greece until uh, I think what Russia secretly, secretly would like uh, Greece to do would be for Greece for Greece to leave the European and to walk away from its debt, to flip the bird and say, stick your debt up here where the sun doesn't shine and just walk away. Say, it's not ours, we don't want to bye-bye. In that case, um, Russia could help. But while the Greek government still gives lip service to owning that debt in some way and, and, and being responsible for it. Uh, it's far too big. It's contrived. It's, it's a massive debt, supposedly, but it's, ma- and it's massively contrived and it's not the Greek debt. But as long as they claim, in any way, claim ownership of it or responsibility for it, uh, Russia and no one else is going to touch it. Yeah. But if they walked away and stood on their own and were, were able to get through the painful first, first yeah. period, then something could happen, but that's all theoretical because that would have to happen yeah. before you could see what would happen. For, for a radical communist regime, in quotes, the Greek government sure likes the status quo of being in both the EU and the Eurozone. I mean, that, at least from what their public statements are, it never seems to have crossed their mind. You know what? We could just leave. Yeah. It's like, you know, surely it has, but no, but it's... But the problem is once they leave... You're, you'd be opening the country to all sorts of outside influences. It's very un... Well, there's another... It's very, it's very difficult to, to, to... I mean, you'd be basically opening the door. To some extent, there's security within the EU. Outside, you'd have... I mean, immediately, you'd have the vultures all over the place, including the US, uh, and trying ISIS. to stop them, ISIS, whatever, trying to stop them. You know, uh, you do not want to... The, you know, rely on the the good nature of no. a bunch of psychopaths in power and what they would do to a country that was basically cast adrift in that way and in, in the financial world cast yeah. adrift they would be torn apart you know um, and particularly by the US with their agenda of keeping everybody away from Russia you know but well, um, there's another major consider you're talking about dangers that may come mm. Greece has been in NATO for yeah. 30 years 40 yeah. 40 years whatever we remember from uh Rick Rosop, when he was explaining what it means to be a NATO member, mm. they can re- remote deactivate your weapons mm-hmm. systems because yeah. they gave them to you. They run them. Mm-hmm. And more than that, your entire IT infrastructure, your critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. buttons on and off with dams for your power grid system. Everything is effectively jerry-rigged mm-hmm. via not having control of your own security. Mm-hmm. And it's not just technological control over you, but the personnel, the Greek military, the security services, the top police chiefs will all have been brought up, bred in the NATO incubator mm-hmm. to think and act. And their loyalty would be with the empire. Maybe. I don't know who in the military mean. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, you'd have to get, there'd have to be, a, you'd have to get the temperature uh, of, of, of you know of the military, I don't know what way it, it, it lies in that respect. Uh, what way the military? Because they're in any situation like that, <clears throat> the military obviously is a the military hierarchy 
is an important player because you know coup d'etats have been most coup d'etats or many of them have been uh, have occurred under the ages of the of a bunch of military generals you know mm-hmm. so that's a very important uh, factor to to consider as well uh, but I don't know what the sentiment is uh, in Greece as a whole throughout the power structure obviously there's a there's a right wing kind of EU faithful uh, in the, in the political sphere but as far as the military goes I don't know I mean we'd have to have we have to be closer to the ground on that one. But um, Spiros, who is actually in Greece, is listening, and he said that um, while Greece is 2% of the EU GDP, it has a huge has huge geopolitical, commercial, and military strategic importance, uh, uh, I suppose, for the, for the EU. Mm-hmm. And that's true, you know, um, particularly with, like we've been discussing with... Uh, with the resurgent and the whole new Cold War business line, Greece Greece sits down there on the Mediterranean. Uh, if that was to, if that chunk of land was to fall away um, from the European sphere of influence, let's say, uh, and into or the EU Anglo sphere of influence and into uh, Russia's kind of Eurasian influence, well, yeah, it would be. <clears throat> It would be, uh, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it's 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 part of the EU's kind of uh, underbelly, you know, down there. It's right beside Turkey, you know. It would be chipping away at that eastern border of the EU and and the, and the international community, as it's called, you know, and and increasing the influence and the scope of of the new uh, kind of Eurasian power that is is emerging. And yeah, it's it's certainly not something to be dismissed or, or certainly not insignificant in that respect, you know, and of course, like we mentioned about the pipelines and stuff, it would make, if that were to happen, it would facilitate the, Europe still needs, especially Southern Europe and Eastern Europe still needs uh, Russian gas and it would facilitate Greece, that, that South Stream, etc., you know. And once the Russians get there with their tech, Greece has huge reserves of gas in the Aegean Sea Absolutely. that has not been, been developed. Right, and that's what's being held in reserve as well. You uh-huh. know? That's in the background. There's another little thing, just FYI, Greece is effectively the spiritual homeland of Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Orthodox Mecca is uh, sort of Mount Athos mm-hmm. in the north of Greece, right there at the Dardanelles practically the entrance from the Black Sea into the Med. So, yeah, you can see right there this kind of a cross history <laughs> and culture. Uh, but the main thing being the geopolitical nexus point for yeah. Russia's access to the Mediterranean. Uh, the, the British and then the Americans certainly thought that part of the world important enough to uh, effectively reinstitute Nazis, the Nazis who, but people collaborated with the Nazis. During the Second World During War. During the Second World War, leading to a civil war that the British fought yeah. against the effectively the ancestors of Syriza. Fought against the resistance, the glorious anti Nazi resistance in Europe. The British came in after uh, at the end of the Second World War and actually fought against them and killed and tortured a bunch of them um, because they wanted their own government. Uh, they wanted a genuinely representative government of the Greek people and the British wanted to reinstitute or reinstall the corrupt. Uh, monarchy, uh, which they did. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. It's a kind of, to a certain extent, there's parallels between then and what's going on today, you know, in a certain sense, you know. Uh, Greek people demanding 
representative just government and being uh, kind of fought against and oppressed and by Western powers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a schism between the French and the Germans apparently as well because uh, there was word... Uh, well, that's why I'm wondering how far this can go in terms of yeah, it'd be great to see it fracturing you know? Europe. Everybody can go back to their nation states and we can all live feudal lives, and then we'll have more wars. Maybe will we? <laughs> the French fighting the Brits, uh, fighting the Germans, and the Brits. Well, they would they would be reverting back to form. Yeah, because the French and the Germans used to fight every forty years. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they should, you know, because uh, it seems that um, the whole let's all be one big community hasn't really worked out. You know. Never, never was going to work out, you know. The idea of um, <clears throat> the idea of taking all these disparate countries with their own languages and cultures and own histories of conflict with each other and putting them all together and saying we are all one people now. Uh, yeah, it was a bit ambitious to say the least. But of course, that wasn't the real agenda anyway. The real agenda was to combine all of these countries together in one economic block so that you can then more easily milk them all. Um, sure, you prevent wars, but you create almost the same condition as wars, at least in terms of um, creating a, a suffering for the people. You mm. know, and it's getting worse, and it, it, I think it'll continue to get worse. And I think there'll be a there'll be a, a D Day, to use another Second World War uh, metaphor, uh, at some point for in the near future, uh, for not just the EU but the entire global economy. I mean, it's been predicted for many years now. Uh, what will actually be the, the tipping point or the narrative or the rationale or the reason that will be given for why the entire global economy just went over the edge and then over a series of uh, months or whatever, it'll just worsen and worsen and worsen. Um, that day is coming very soon, you know. It could be this crisis. It could be this crisis. could be the beginning of it. It hasn't ended yet. Uh, we don't know where it's going to go, but it could. And even if it supposedly ends and some agreement is made, that's still not the end of it. You know, things could, there could be, uh, spokes in the wheel mm-hmm. uh, in the near future. Things may not all work out as they're as they're as they're as they're intended to. And um, the in that case, mm-hmm. the uh, I think that's what I was saying earlier on at the beginning of the show that I think some people in power in Europe and certainly in the US and different places are aware of the possibility of some kind of a serious crash in the global economy and they are attempting to ensure their own their own personal survivability and their own wealth in the event of that you know so they're consolidating their control and their power over people in Europe in this case to uh, ensure their own survivability and their own and their own survivability in a wealthy position and uh, and to gain and keep control over the people, so that if there is some kind of a major economic crisis and people really start to feel it, that uh, the structures will be in place to make sure that people just lay down and suck it up, um, and that there's nobody going to come along and you know try and shake things up like a leftist, quote unquote government might do or, or a leftist government in, in other in other countries might do you know 
Um, they want to have governments in the various European countries who are all on the same page, i.e. we're the rich, we're the criminals, and they are the poor mm-hmm. slaves, and you understand that, and that's where we're going to keep it. Yeah. There's nobody coming along to say, rise up, people of X country, and take back your rights, I think. They don't want, they want to make sure nobody comes along who, who even suggests that, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the extreme line that's been taken by the creditors, so that's mainly French, German, and Wall Street institutions and some public institutions like the IMF, why is it so, so, so extreme? You, you wrote an article this week on it that kind of speaks to a rationale behind it because it's, to give you an example, I'm not sure if he's, you know, being on the level here with statements, but the U.S. government has been very quiet, relatively, mm-hmm. about this issue. It's just unusual. I mean, when it came to Ukraine or anything remotely to do with Russia, mm. Biden was over in Brussels saying, yeah, I hope none of you all get any stupid ideas about, you know, <laughs> he was saying the most ridiculous thing, but it was a smack of desperation. Mm-hmm. But they've been very restrained in mm-hmm. this issue. Anyway, they did make a statement recently. The Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, just in passing, said, what was strange to me about this whole issue was that a few months back, the... Troika, IMF, ECB, and the European Union came within two billion euros worth of of getting a deal with the Syriza government mm. out of three hundred and sixty billion. They mm. came that close, and he said, "I would never, or we we would never quibble and risk hundreds Everything. of billions and a financial shock that could be global mm. over a couple of billion." Mm-hmm. Now he left at that. I don't know what else he knows or if he's trying to mm. get a dig in as someone or if it's completely disingenuous. But it, it does raise, it does point again to the extremely hard line mm-hmm. that they're taking on Greece. And if there was one simple point that Varoufakis and the other Greeks in Syriza were making, it's that what we don't understand about austerity is that it's presented as if this is absolutely necessary. Mm. But it's not. A country gets in this kind of debt, and we're all in this debt. The whole system is built on debt. Doesn't mean that we have all got to suffer. No. That's a choice. Somebody is making a choice mm-hmm. that people must suffer. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to come to yeah. your article. That well, that's what I was kind of saying. Was that I mean, when you look, I mean, for me, there's a direct correlation. I think I said this already. There's a direct correlation that everybody can see between these bailouts when private banks lose money lose billions of money and not just their money but public money that when so you have a private corporation goes bankrupt and then the people immediately of the country where the private corporation has its headquarters or where it's based the people of that country have to give that corporation their money Uh, and it's not that they are forced to give it it's that it's taken from them uh, before they get it they pay their taxes, the government then gives their tax money to this private corporation uh, and because it does that, it doesn't pay for pensions, it uh, reduces public worker salaries, it privatizes uh, public assets and people get un- are unemployed or fired. 
their salaries are reduced and uh, healthcare is cut. So there's a direct correlation there between uh, the continue, the, the propping up of the wealth of these elite type people, also known as criminals, uh, that the, the maintenance of their wealth is connection between that and the suffering of ordinary people. And it's not even, it's maybe one or two steps removed, but it's almost a direct, you know, when someone um, loses his job and, lo- and as a result loses his house and he's kind of destitute and the family are struggling to survive because they can't don't have enough money to feed themselves, um, there's a direct correspondence to some uh, rich banker buying a second yacht. You know, or when 10,000 of those people lose their jobs and are struggling to feed themselves, that's when the banker has enough money. Yeah, I think this is absolutely backed up by statistics. I mean, banker bonuses, corporate profits have never been higher at a time when poverty is growing. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just pure unfettered greed at the expense of ordinary people. And we have to remember that the thing everybody has to remember is that um, the entire global economy supported or is backed by, I mean, you talk about the, you know, the uh, currencies being backed by, used to be backed by gold. Um, but gold isn't even that useful in that sense because you can't eat gold, you know, Um so the wealth of a nation has always, regardless of what they claimed it was backed by, if it's either gold or just pieces of paper that are worthless, and gold, which is relatively worthless as well, depending on what area you live in, but um, it really it's just a it's just a metal. So um, the wealth well, the wealth of the entire planet is backed by the sweat equity or sweat labor of ordinary people. Mm. And if you want to take it down a step further, it's the energy. Because what is it that allows someone to go out and work in a field, in a mine, or anywhere else, and produce something? What allows that person to do that is his own personal energy. And that directly translates up into, uh, is converted into a piece of paper uh, that supposedly has some value, and that that then is used to those pieces of paper are amassed by a few individuals and then they uh, they get to use that. But what they're holding when they're holding money is that they're holding the energy of, of millions of ordinary people. Or billions. Or billions of ordinary people. Because uh, that's where it came from, you know. And then... Um, and they, so, they, and they, use they, give, a value, they give a value to those pieces of paper and then use that to buy more uh, energy, essentially, from from people, you know, to, 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 to bribe ordinary people of the world to work harder, work more, you know. Um, it's really, it's a, it's a horrible image, but I think it's a fairly accurate image of the way things work, you know, and have worked for, for a long time. So, um, yeah. But it's a, it's a shifting topic, and we're going to cut the show short, a little bit short this week, folks. Um because um, we have uh, a crisis. <laughs> uh, no, we don't have a crisis, but um, yeah, we just wanted to cover the Greek topic and, and not get into anything else because it would take too long. Um, we wanted to give our time to the Greek uh, 
with crisis and it's not over yet so we'll maybe we'll be revisiting it at a later stage but uh, before we leave you uh, we wanted to leave you with the sage advice as always of uh, our friend who knows probably a lot more about the Grexit and the Greek crisis than we do so this is Relic and another pop culture roundup Greetings, fellow Earthlings, and welcome to another funktastic edition of Pop Culture Roundup with your host, Old Relic here, coming to you each week from my modest log cabin on the ice-biting, wind-battered shores of Upper Lake Canada, where Absolute Zero was just another name for vodka in my freezer. And, as we are accustomed to doing here in our little pre-recorded segment, we're going to scour the Googlyverse and take a look under the hood of that shiny Rolls Royce that is movie, television, and music culture, and maybe have a little tinker with the engine, a fine immaculate machine greased with the tears of failed marriages, bad plastic surgery, and broken dreams. In our first story, Metro UK newspaper is reporting that uh, a Mr. Jaden Smith, the eldest son of preeminent Scientologist and rapping Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Will Smith, made headlines this month when he was photographed going to his high school prom dressed in a dazzling white Batman suit, complete with cape and fake puffy shoulder pads and fake puffy six-pack abs. Jaden Smith is best known for the horribly mediocre Karate Kid sequel, also for the notoriously bad father-son movie stinker After Earth, and known for giving new-agey, flower-of-life word-salad interviews that include such gems as, quote, I have a feeling of being like a fragment of a holographic reality that a higher consciousness made. And he also claims that he can use his mind to control time. Well, as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I'd imagine that his father, Mr. Hancock, now secretly wishes he was seven pounds lighter. Seeing how his famous celebrity progeny is obviously bat-suit crazy. Oh, L. Ron Hubbard must be turning in his alien grave. In other news, Hollywood Life website tells us that flip-flop music producer Canyon West and his newly pregnant wife, the queen of celebrity selfies, Miss Kim Kardashian, were photographed going to a posh sushi restaurant near their home in Calabasas, California, 
where, instead of being ceded immediately, as Tinseltown royalty so rightfully expect, the uber-famous couple had to wait outside the restaurant for thirty minutes before getting a table. Oh, the humanity! Oh, the outrage! The sheer unjustness of it all! How dare that restaurant management make these super-exceptional celebrities wait a few minutes to get served, treating them like swine or, or regular folks? Don't they realize that the whole point of being famous is to have immediate gratification in every facet of life? To have every need and wish met instantly without fuss or delay? Don't they read the tabloids? Celebrities are our gods, and we must, we must bow down to them like good subservient plebes. Well, I for one do feel sorry for little Miss Kim and Mr. Canyon. I really do. Life is hard, and I truly hope they can recover from this humiliating and arduous restaurant ordeal. Continuing on with news of Canyon West, according to Us Magazine, the self-absorbed, egomaniacal rap producer was just awarded an honorary doctorate degree from Chicago School of Art Institute. A former college dropout, Mr. West said he felt grateful to be bestowed with such recognition and vowed on stage to write his postdoctoral thesis on keeping it real in the Beverly Hills hood. He also suggested that Chicago University should now start offering undergraduate courses like Thug Life 101 or Successful Perambulation When Your Saggy Pants Are Falling Down Off Your Ass or how to maximize profits when pawning your bling. True story. The newly minted Dr. Canyon West now joins a long list of other famous imaginary doctors like, like uh, Dr. Dre or Dr. Evil, Dr. Seuss, uh, or Dr. Pepper, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and my personal favorite, Dr. Octopus. One million dollars. In our last story for the evening, if you haven't been hiding under a rock for the last few months, you've undoubtedly heard about the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. How will the Force awaken, I wonder? My guess is with the nice hot cup of coffee. Mild Colombian beans for the Jedi and the dark espresso noir for the Sith. After watching the new trailer, everyone here at Behind the Headlines is quite excited and looking forward to the latest installment of this space adventure a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away where we'll undoubtedly see the return of such beloved characters as Uncle Owen, the Ewoks, and Mace Windu. Now, according to some 
totally legitimate entertainment websites. The screenplay for the new Star Wars movie has been leaked online. And apparently, the plot involves a comedic love triangle between Jabba the Hutt, Nabubian Princess Amidala, and Jar Jar Binks, who all decide to share an apartment together while one of them has to pretend to be gay in order to avoid getting into trouble with their nosy upstairs landlord, Jango Fett. Wait a minute. That sounds like the plot from the 70s sitcom Three's Company. Ah, who writes this stuff? But seriously, everywhere I look, celluloid news sites are coming up with stranger and more outlandish theories as to what direction this new Star Wars film will take. What is it with these websites' obsession with giving away movie spoilers? Why not just let people wait until the film comes out in order to enjoy it for the first time without foreknowledge and anticipation? Well, Relic's gonna jump on this particular bandwagon today. In keeping in the spirit of giving away too much information, I've decided to take it upon myself and reveal a really big spoiler for all of you this week. And I'm sure that many of you, dear listeners, will be quite upset when I give this particular plot point away. But, well, I just can't resist. So, here goes. In the movie, Citizen Kane, Rosebud was the name of his childhood sled. Oh, let the hate mail commence. Well... Looks like we've come to the end of another show for this week, kids. Thanks for stopping by and spending some time with a lonely old codger like me. But the time has come for me to skedaddle now and maybe chop up some more birch kindling for the cast iron stove. Well, until next time, it's Relic here saying, always remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Okay, that was Relic with another podcast. Randall, thank you, Relic. That was excellent. Um, we uh, are going to leave it there for this week, folks, as we mentioned. Um, we will be back next week when we <clears throat> may, at this point it's may, be interviewing uh, a guest uh, author and journalist um, Anne Cadwallader, who is the author of a recent book called Lethal Allies about uh, the campaign of terror, state, uh, state killings, uh, campaign of uh, state killings by uh, the British government in Northern Ireland, uh, where it ran death squads uh, during the 1970s and 80s and 90s. Uh, to kill innocent civilians uh, simply for the purpose, largely for the going because, you know, British government and other governments of that nature like conflict and death and suffering. So uh, that's what they do. Uh, newsflash. So that's maybe next week. Um, keep a check on the, on the website uh, to see if it's going to happen. If not, we'll be back with something else until... See you next week. Yes. Have a good one. And thanks for listening. <laughs>